And so God, as we dive into your word, we pray that you will, in a mighty way, speak to our hearts. Um, it's kind of a sensitive uh, subject that we're talking about this morning, Lord, and, and so I pray that you would give me the words uh, that you want me to speak. But God, also I pray that you would um, really uh, tweak our hearts right now so that we don't shut down when we hear a word that we don't like or when we're challenged with something, God. I pray that you would really um, just give it a spirit of, of, of hungering and thirsting for your righteousness right now, God. And um, so, Lord, we just, yeah, I cry out to you because I, I need you in this moment, God. I really do. And so as we talk about the sanctity of life, um, speak to us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. So before we get started, I want you to repeat something back to me. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to say it back to me. All right, you ready? God is the creator. God is creator. His creation is sacred. His creation is in his image. Therefore, his sacred creation should respond like him. Okay, thanks. I just want to make sure we're clear on some things here. <laughs> Keep that in your mind. Keep that in your heart. Um, we're going to be talking about um, life today. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We're going to talk about abortion. We're going to talk about what it means for us as Christians to, um, to engage in that topic. And, and I, it's hard because there's a lot of different types of people sitting in the room right now. Let's just be honest. There's, there's guys sitting in the room right now who, who, when it comes to this subject, we're a little bit clueless um, because we, we can easily escape uh, from circumstances. There's women in here who, who have had abortions. Uh, there's women in here who um, have thought about having an abortion. And then there's women in here who haven't had anything to do with it. There's also people in here who love Jesus. And because you love Jesus, you get angry at the thought of sin. And that's right. But there's also people in here that when we get angry at the thought of sin, instead of responding like our Creator, sometimes we respond to sin with sin, don't we? I do it. And so, yeah. So we're going to talk this morning. Some years back, I was, uh, it was my first time going to Africa. I was traveling in Kenya, and the experience I had the night before was, was a terrifying experience that I'm not going to go into the details of, but it looked a little something like this. I encountered a whole bunch of people that I had never encountered before. I encountered a whole bunch of people from a different religion I had never encountered before. I had one man tell me he was going to kill me, and I had an AK-47 pointed in my face. So I didn't sleep well that night. The next morning, we were, for the first time, going to head out into the country, and we were going to meet with some folks. And I remember, I'm sitting on the bus, I, I'm so jet-lagged, I'm so tired, I'm exhausted, I'm, I'm absolutely terrified. Now, as a child of God, I shouldn't be afraid of men, but I was terrified. I, I didn't know how to act, I had gone through all this training, I had been prepared for this moment, but when it came down to it, uh, the guy that was sitting next to me, we both were absolutely terrified. We pulled into this village. And we sat on the bus as the people leading the trip got off the bus and they went and they talked to some of the, the village uh, chiefs and leaders and things like that. 
And I remember there was a little goat on a rope. That's just a fun way to say it, right? Goat on a rope. There was a goat on a rope. And it was running in this circle, and there was this little four- to five-year-old girl um, who was kind of teasing the goat. And the goat would, it's like the goat didn't know how much leash it had, and so she'd run up and she'd poke the goat or slap the goat, and then she would run off, and then she would stand right at the edge, and the goat would just like kind of hang itself. And it was funny, let's just be honest, you know. I saw my dog run into a glass wall before. It was funny. You can laugh at that stuff when no one gets hurt. Anyway, so the goat on the rope is doing its thing, and it, and it kind of it made me feel good. It was like, okay, you know what, this is cute. This is awesome. I'm in Africa. There's a goat on a rope. This is awesome. And so finally, the, the woman leading our vision trip gets off, and she says, hey, I want you guys, um, we're going to go into this community. We're going to talk to some people. And so we get off the bus, and I remember getting off the, this bus, and the goat with the rope is about 10 feet from me, and the little girl um, was, was in the process of slapping the goat and running back. And then all of a sudden, all of these white people get off the bus. She froze. And I froze. And we're looking at each other. Just as the goat and his rope came running by her, and the rope tangled up in her midsection, and it began to yank her all over the place. And so here's me, the hero that I am. I I couldn't get words out. I was afraid that if I yelled, someone would think I was trying to do something and I would get shot to death. I I had all these messed up preconceived notions in my mind of of what would happen if I said something. And so the goat with the rope is dragging the girl with the beautiful smile all over the place. And me and the other guy are looking at each other like, like, somebody do something. And I remember the woman leading our trip ran past us and said, don't just stand there, help her. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, when we came to that revelation, this woman had already run past us and picked this little girl up and just loved her and hugged her. And and while we were sitting on the bus, we watched as all these other people in the village said, don't tease that goat. But yet she still teased the goat. She got caught. She had some rope burn, had some scars. And what did the Christian men do? We stood there and watched because we were afraid because it was grody, it was not fun, it wasn't what we were expecting. It threw us off, because we didn't know what was socially acceptable, we didn't know what was popular, it was Africa. I'm not from Africa. It's no excuse, is it? We live in a culture today, in our world, that's really just messed up. It's the only way to say it. We live in a, a country where we claim to be the land of the free and free speech, and we have rights. I've got, I've got rights to bear arms. I've got, I've got rights to, to, to have health care provided for me. I've got rights to vote. I've got a right to say the most idiotic things I want to say, but for some reason in this country, you don't have the right to live. Did you know that? That the right to live is not a right, according to what we're told in our country. Because we're told in our country that it's a choice. Life is a choice. And that at the earliest, most vulnerable stages of your life, if you're not wanted, well, just get rid of them. Does that make sense to anybody? That we claim to be defenders of people's rights, but the most innocent and young and vulnerable of us, we don't defend. We just stand there and we point and we say, look what's happening. I want to say this. 
If you're someone who's had an abortion and you're sitting in here today, I want you to know there's no rocks on this stage. We're not throwing rocks at anybody. In fact, my heart breaks for you. We love you. And I want you to just hang in there, okay? Because this sermon's going somewhere. I just want to say that, that this is wrong. The Word of God tells us that we are not to murder, doesn't it? It tells us that as Christians, we're to be defenders of those who can't defend themselves. And a lot of times in this country, if something doesn't directly affect us, we, we become passive and we think, you know what, I don't know anybody who's having an abortion. I'm not having an abortion. So you know what, I don't even need to worry about this. But that's just not true. Because as believers in God, as followers of Jesus, we're to be the voice for those who don't have a voice. We're to be the hands and feet of God. We're supposed to do something. I know this isn't popular to talk about in today's society, but we we have to talk about it, guys, because one day we're going to get to heaven, and the Bible tells us that we're going to have to give an account for our life. And when you think about the millions of children that have been slayed, where have the people of God stood up? Well, here's the problem. All too often, when the people of God stand up, we stand up in such a way that we're not helping the issue. When we stand up, we we do things like bomb clinics, and I'm not claiming any of you have bombed a clinic, but somewhere in our our sinful hearts, we come to the conclusion that, that we're to respond to sin with sin. Where does it ever say that in the Bible? Doesn't it say that when a brother's fallen in sin that we're to correct them with gentleness, love, and respect? It's not our place to judge. You know why it's not our place to judge? Because we're the creation. Do you know why life is sacred to God? Because we're His creation. We're not just His creation. We're we're created in His image. It tells us that in the book of Genesis. God made Adam and Eve. He made man and woman. He made them in their own image, referring to the Godhead, God three in one, in the image of God. Did you know that no matter how you came into this world, you are intentional and on purpose? You may have been an accident. You may have been a surprise. But you're on purpose. Many of you know my testimony. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but I'm the product of a rape. Abortion is never okay. Because God always has a purpose for that child. And it breaks my heart to hear so many Christians come to me and say, well, in this instance, we really have to think about it. What about if they have Down syndrome? Praise God for that young lady that stood up here. Life is life. Life is sacred. And God created us in His image. You are the sacred creation of God. Do you get that? And if you're the sacred creation of God, that means the weirdo sitting next to you is the sacred creation of God. And if that person's the sacred creation of God, that means the people down the street at that other church or the people sleeping in this morning, they're the creation of God. We're all created in His image. And if we're created in His image, we've got to be sacred beings, don't we? If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 139. And I I loved this psalm before, but I had a conversation with several people this week that made me fall more in love with this passage. Because what we see in Psalm 139 is a response from David. 
a very human response about kind of what's going on in his life. And so I just want to read something to you right now. In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 15 really focus on God as our creator. When you, and I want to encourage you to spend some time this afternoon after church reading through this entire psalm. It's not that long. But there's this moment where David says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Where can I go? I can't hide from you. He's basically saying, God, you know me. You know every part of me. I can't hide from you. Just like when Adam and Eve tried to hide from God, when sin entered them, they couldn't hide from God because God knows you. You're his creation intentionally made on purpose. He loves you. And David's singing this psalm to God saying, you are my creator. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar and you discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me and such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. No matter where you're at in life, God loves you, is what that's saying. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light to you. And then he goes into this passage, this creation thing. This is how we know that God loves us. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thinking about that knitting. Each little strand is touched by the knitter, the creator, intentionally placed on purpose, just like you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all of the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. When does life begin? Life begins, as this piece of scripture tells us, that all of the days were written in your book before one of them came to be. Just as John the Baptist, as we heard at Christmas, leapt in his mother's womb when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, came into the room. There is life in here. The child is alive. The unborn child is a creation of God. And God created that child on purpose. And we as Christians need to stand for life because we are God's creation. And if we are God's creation, we need to uh, recognize that we're sacred. And recognizing that we're sacred, we need to respond like God. And we need to defend the weak. We need to defend those who don't have a voice. But what's interesting to me is David, in this psalm, has a response, like I think a lot of us respond when it comes to these things. 
So if you have your Bibles, let's continue on. And I, I want to show you a very ironic set of passages that come after this. So in verse 19, he says this, If only you would slay the wicked, O God. So we went from this beautiful passage about the sanctity of life to if you would only slay the wicked, O God. How do we get from there to there? Did you ever think about that? Did you ever read that passage that immediately follows? Listen to this. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent, and your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them as my enemies. Wait a second. Where did all this holy creation, people are awesome, God is divine talk go? Now we go to hate. See, I think what's happening here, I know what's happening here, is that David, in this psalm, is giving his heart to God. He's revealing his heart to God. And what that passage of Scripture isn't telling us is it's not telling us to hate that, those people. What that's telling us is that David has a human response in that moment, just like many of you have human responses in your life. You have those moments in your life where, where something happens to you or somebody sins against you. Let's say maybe you have a, a high school student who becomes pregnant and, and that person's sin, it hurts you so bad that you respond in a sinful way. David's speaking specifically about the people in his kingdom and the enemies of his kingdom that have rebelled against God, that have been disobedient to God. And he's saying, God, I love you so much, I hate them. And I'm struggling through that. But David ends his passage with something beautiful when he says, But search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He's confessing to God in this moment that my thoughts are wrong. That I need you, God. And he says, see if there is offense in me and lead me in the ways everlasting. Do you see that? Just like David has this response to the things that oppose God. He had this visceral human response of anger and hatred. And then he's quickly drawn in by his confession to God. And says, lead me in the ways of life everlasting. What is that way? It's following Christ. It's being love. I want to challenge our thought this morning. Because all too often as Christians, we want to simply jump on young women who have abortions. We want, to, we want to jump down the throat of people who are caught in sin. But listen to me, church. We're not helping the issue when we as the church respond to sin with sin. We help the issue when we become truly pro-life and we stand beside young women like Megan who decide to keep their baby. As a church, we can be pro-life by coming alongside of one another when we're caught up in sin and not beating each other up. But saying, look, you need the Lord. We need to be the people of God by understanding that somebody else's sin really doesn't affect you in the way that you're going to be held accountable for it. Does that make sense? Because all too often when our brother or sister sins, we take it as a personal attack against us. And it's not. When our brother or sister sins, they need us to be there for them. When somebody's caught in sin, they know that they're messed up. They know there's a problem sometimes. 
And they need people to come around them. They need people to love them. They need the sacred creation of God to have a sacred response. How do you respond to the fallen and broken people in your life? Is it with graciousness? Is it with gentleness? Is it with love? Listen to me, church. It is right for us to stand up for what is right. It is right for us to hate the the act of abortion. But we need to love on those people. You don't know their circumstances. And it's never right to have an abortion. But when you've got a little 15-year-old girl who her parents have just thrown around, she has no money, she has no way to survive, and she's standing there saying, God, I want to do the right thing, but I don't know how, and nobody comes around her, whose fault is that? Where's the church in those moments? Where's God's sacred creation? We should be right beside them. Not beating them up, but loving them. Because people caught up in sin are living through hell as it is, and they don't really need us to rub their noses in it. Do you think if the church responded in that way, what did Megan say? Did you catch what she said? She said, when I encountered these people, there was a loving, gracious response, and these people came alongside of me, and she stands before you today giving a beautiful testimony of turning her life to Christ. She's got a son, Nigel, sitting in the front who's given his life to Christ because of the testimony of the sacred creation of God coming around the sacred creation of God. That's being pro-life. That's understanding that you're created in the image of the Creator. All of us are messed up. All of us are sinful. All of us are broken. Some of our sins just look worse than others, don't they? But to God, we're all His sacred creation. And He desires for each and every one of us to return to Him. And I want to say this to you, church, this morning. If you had loving responses to people who are caught in sin, I praise God for you. But if you've not, you know what? It's okay because you're messed up just like the rest of us. And now's when we're going to make a change. I want you to think about your response to that. Is your response is that of David before the end of the chapter? Or is it the response after? Lord, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm broken. I have anger in my heart. But search me, O God, and then lead me in the ways of the everlasting. Have you ever asked God to help you not be angry? (laughs) Seems so simple, right? But it's something we forget to do all the time. Do you know it's okay for us to ask God to help us to have faith? To help us to to know how to react in a situation as to when our brother comes to us and tells us that he's murdered somebody or where our daughter comes to us and tells us that she's gay? Do you know that God gives us a, a way to respond? to these hard questions in life, understanding that sin is sin. It's just as David says in the end, search me, O God. Help me to know if there's any fault in me and cleanse that out of me, but then help me to pursue the ways of righteousness. Galatians 6, 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch that you yourselves also may not be tempted. When I read that, I think, yeah, I, I, if I'm helping someone who's hooked on a drug, I don't want to become a druggie myself. And I, I, I'm starting to wonder if that's the only thing that means. 
Because when we're coming alongside of a brother or sister who's caught in sin, do we often judge or think that we're better than them or think we're above that? Part of me wonders if that's the sin that we're in danger of. Because we're all fallen. We're all broken. Abortion is wrong in church. We need to stand up against it by standing with those young ladies that decide to keep their children. By standing alongside of programs like the Silver Ring thing that preach abstinence. That stand alongside of, of, of organizations like Young Lives who come alongside of these young women who keep their babies. Church, we need to be the hands and feet of God. Because their sin is just more public than ours. Right? And we need to love and we need to be very careful in the way that we fight these battles. Because when we simply have that attitude of hate and abhorring, it causes more damage than we do good. We're going we're gonna to close with a song called Beautiful Things. And I want you to think about this. God the Creator, your Heavenly Father, has a big lump of dirt right in front of him. Picks up that piece of dirt. Dirt's dirty, isn't it? And he begins to make it into something. And even though it's dirty, even though it's making a little bit of a mess, God creates this beautiful image of himself. And then he puts your name on it. You are a divine creation, created by the most beautiful creator. May we, as a church, respond in the image that we're made. God, you make beautiful things out of us. We're all broken, we're all fallen, we're all short of your glory. And Lord, we pray that you will um, just work in a mighty way, God. We pray that you will um, just speak to our hearts. Help us to not only recognize that we're beautiful things, God, that that others are beautiful things as well. And being that we're created in your image, God, help us to respond to one another in a beautiful way. And so, Lord, we give you this time. We give you this service. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would correct our hearts where it needs corrected. Give us courage where we need to have the courage to stand. But help us to stand correctly, Lord, for those who can't speak for themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. My name is Megan, and I grew up apostolic, and I'm number eight of 14 children. Um, So growing up in a house with that many, um, my parents obviously had to work several jobs just to be able to support myself and my siblings, and that left us home alone most of the time ourselves and left me looking for love and attention elsewhere. And at the young age of 15, I became pregnant. And uh, as a result of my pregnancy being unplanned, I became very depressed and even had some suicidal ideation. Um, And to add to the burden of my pregnancy, at one point in time, I had a doctor approach me because of some abnormal test results. And he had basically given me the opportunity to terminate my pregnancy because of that, because my child could be born uh, with Down syndrome. But because of my background and 
you know, growing up apostolic. For me, abortion was never an option or an outlet. Um, I was able to graduate from Valley High School with the help of Even Start, which is a program that helps single parents such as myself um, be able to remain in school. Um, and um, at that point, I was the youngest to attend that program, just being 15. Um, but I needed help. And for me, the help came in the form of Tri-Life Center, which is a crisis pregnancy center and based out of New Kensington um, at the time. And I actually was just walking down the street one day and happened to literally just find the place. Um, and that place became a safe haven for me. And because of the women there being Christian and being non-judgmental and um, you know, just so kind and loving. I felt myself gravitating to them. Um, you know, I was so desperately seeking just a loving environment because, um, you know, I wasn't receiving that at home. There was really no one there for me at the time. Um, I was able to earn points, which in turn I was able to exchange for merchandise so that I could help provide for my son. But... For me, you know, the turning point was being able to, God using them as a tool to help me to heal and through counseling and prayer and, again, just being in that positive environment. And it was uh, one of the women there who had brought me to this actual church, this place, where I had attended the Silver Ring thing. And I remember I was interviewed from a news reporter and I was publicly proclaiming to them that, you know, I was sick and tired of searching. But in my heart, I was actually surrendering my life to Christ. Um, and also, thank you. It was also that day that I had vowed to remain abstinent until marriage. And I kept that vow. And at the age of 19, thank you. At the age of 19, uh, April the 19th, 2003, I married my husband, and we've been married now 11 years, and he too is a saved man of God. Um, and together, the two of us have another son, Malachi, who is eight years old. Um, I, we were able to purchase a home through Habitat for Humanity, and I am now a registered nurse. And I'd like to introduce my son, Nigel, who was my firstborn. This is the one that I had when I was 15. <laughs> um, and he, too, had taken, I didn't mention this the last time, but he, too, had taken the vow to remain abstinent until pregnant, or um, until, <laughs> until marriage. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I just wanted to mention that, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm so far from where I used to be. And even at that point in my life, God had held me close because he had a plan for us. And um, I'm just grateful to that. And I'm grateful to this church and, you know, just having the silver ring thing and all the programs that, you know, he had mentioned earlier for being a support and laying that foundation for my salvation. So thank you all for having Amen. me.
Well, let me take a moment to pray for her. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Can we do that? Let's take a moment to pray for Megan and for the different uh, ministries that we listed here that we partner with, for the, the people that made a huge impact in her life and just all that God has done. And we, we thank you, God. We thank you for Megan's testimony of your, your grace and goodness, uh, for the people in Tri, for the people Silver Ring, for all those who played a part in her story and how she came to know Christ and the decisions she got to make. And God, we're just so grateful and thankful for all you've done. And we look at all these ministries and how they continue to shape and change this world and change Pittsburgh, and we pray your favor and your blessing on them, that, God, you continue to do incredibly mighty things across this city, across this nation. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. One more time, we give it up for Megan. Amen. Amen.